is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, February 26, 2024, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Olney, and stepping in to produce today's podcast is Sarah Abbott. Sarah's become a superstar in the podcast world. Last year, she was with us pretty much every day. This year, you know, now we have to hope for some luck to come together so we have Sarah on the show. Sarah, welcome back. Oh my gosh, stop. (laughs) <laughs> it's so good to be back. Missed missed you. Missed the bleacher tweeters. I feel like I'm coming home. I love it. Nice. So what, what have you been doing before we get into this big news about Cody Bellinger? So everyone, check out the L. Duncan show. You can get that on I didn't Spotify. ask for a promo. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> this is the producer. You have to, you have to promo. Um, check out the L. Duncan show if you want to know what we're up to. You can find that on YouTube, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this fabulous podcast, and on ESPN2 on Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Nice. And you, uh, I'm sure you were so excited to get word about uh, about Taylor's little one, Lola. Oh, my goodness. Taylor Swift, for all those new listeners, hello. We're going to talk about Taylor Swift uh, for just a second. She's my, oh, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Wow. You know, <laughs> how soon we forget. I was talking oh about Taylor God. Schwenk, okay? And you immediately go to Taylor Swift. How disappointed is Taylor Schwenk going to be? I actually have no words. I hope he thinks it's funny. Taylor is like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for them. They're going to be the best parents ever. And Lola is so adorable. Anytime I get a picture of Lola, my heart like melts. She is amazing. All right. (laughs) I I really hope that uh, Taylor uh, gets a chance to listen to this so he can give you a lot of crap because he's got some ammo now. You go right to Taylor Swift. and It's not like Taylor Swift's not getting covered in every other uh, media outlet in the world at this point. All right. We mentioned at the top of the show, Cody Bellinger has a new contract. He agreed to terms with the Chicago Cubs on a three-year, $80 million deal that's front-loaded. He gets $30 million in 2024, $30 million in 2025, and $20 million in 2026 if this contract is still in place because he has an opt-out at the end of each of the first two years of this contract so if he has another great year to back up what he did in 2023, then he could head back out in the marketplace. This was a fascinating negotiation. I've heard from a bunch of agents, heard from folks around baseball about the way that this played out. And I'll share those thoughts with Dave Schoenfield coming up in a moment. The other day, the Yankees' Alex Verdugo says that he has no hard feelings about his former manager, Alex Cora. You remember last year, Verdugo, when he was with the Red Sox, was benched a couple of times. Uh, And then when this move went down where he's traded the Yankees, he made some comments that were construed as him uh, ripping into Alex Cora. His quote the other day with reporters, it's one of those things, it's a little bit weird because outside of the game, he was great. Even as a manager, he's a good manager. So Alex Verdugo seems to be moving on, but I almost guarantee you there's going to be a flare-up between Verdugo and the Red Sox this year because he plays with so much emotion. David Schoenfield, of course, covers baseball for ESPN. And, man, it was 
probably a, it was a fun thing to see after all the waiting with some of these prime free agents, Dave, to see that Cody Bellinger went back. But it might have been the least surprising, I think, of, of the development. It felt like all along that this was the most natural fit. Yeah, it, Buster, it was just hard finding a, a potential landing spot for him that matched up as well as he matches up with the Cubs, who obviously saw him up close last year and know what he's capable of. I'm not sure he's going to do it again, but they know what he's capable of in a good season. And, and I thought that the contract, you know, was just about perfect for where he was, uh, much in the way Carlos Correa, you remember, signed that, uh, you know, signed that contract with the Minnesota Twins that gave him the ability to opt out. Was it three years and 105 million? I think this deal is very similar, you know, front loaded, $30 million this season, $30 million next season, $20 million in the third year. But after years one and two, we can opt out. Um, so if, in fact, he demonstrates, that what we saw last year with this change that he made with his approach, that he is now you know back from those ugly years he had with the Dodgers and he's an elite hitter, he can go right back out into the market. Because I think that what teams wanted to see was more sample size. Yeah, look, he's hit 193 over 2021 and 2022. Changed his approach last year, cut his swing down with two strikes. Now... My question, Buster, can he do it again? I'd be curious to see what you think because we look at some of the advanced metrics. 10th percentile and hard hit rate. His expected batting average via stat cast was 265. Now, did he get lucky? Not necessarily because with two strikes, he would just kind of slap the ball around. He had the second best two-strike average in the majors behind Luis Arise. So it was a completely different approach, but I understand why teams were hesitant to go long-term on him because they want to see if this approach will work again. And that uh, concern was real. Look, I remember at the beginning of the offseason, I was seeing projections, 150, 180 million, and that did not at all echo some of the conversations I was having with individual teams where they were like, boy, first off, you love his defense you love the base running, you know, they, the Cubs had the same experience that a lot of teams did is they loved him day to day around the team, but there was legitimate concern about his production, which is why, you know, a lot of teams, when they saw those big numbers, uh, you know, potentially big asking price, they were like, nope, not doing it. You know, we just need to see more. Uh, and I'd say this too, that, and I, you know, I'm with you. I, I don't really know what's real. I remember having a conversation with Jesse Rogers before the trade deadline and, you know, we were talking about what teams might be interested. And I was telling Jesse, I'm like, look, I'm hearing from teams. They're concerned that if they trade for Cody Bellinger, that they're basically going to get someone who's who's going to fall apart because just hadn't been that long since he made those changes. I, I think that uh, when the winter's over and we talk about the way teams have handled the negotiations, the way the Cubs handled this negotiation to me was as disciplined as I've ever seen with any team. Because there was a ton of pressure on the Cubs to make this deal. And when he was sitting out there and sitting out there and yep. sitting out there, and the Cubs, who clearly have the money to make it happen, they waited. And they waited. And they waited for him to come down to a price that they were comfortable with. No doubt. And look, the most successful teams are ones that, that show the discipline in these kinds of deals. I point to the Braves, who they'll re-sign their own guys, but they never go out and sign free agents to these nine-figure deals. 
And the Cubs, they have two things. They have Pete Crow Armstrong, who top prospect, you know, gold glove caliber defender in center. We'll see if we can hit, but that gave them an option in center. They trade for Michael Bush from the Dodgers. Great numbers in AAA. Should be a solid major league hitter. They could have used him at first. So they had backup plans already in place, and that allowed them to play it uh, conservative here with Bellinger. Yeah, I am curious to see, too. Again, the Cubs, as we know, they're an organization with a lot of money. They could sign anybody they wanted to. I am curious to see if the market with Matt Chapman comes back to them. If, in fact, he winds up taking a short-term deal. I mean, you know, a similarly structured deal with Chapman as with Bellinger makes a lot of sense to me, you know, potentially with the Cubs. Yeah, Chapman, same thing. There's a lot of risk in his profile Tore it up last April. I think he was the AL player of the month, had a monster month. But the rest of the year, the numbers weren't there. Still a great defender. The hard hit metrics for him actually are terrific. He is one of the hardest hitters in baseball, but he just doesn't make enough contact. Um, there's a, a high floor with him because of the defense. And, you know, you can expect 20 home runs. But I'm with you. Do you want to – nobody – obviously, he's not signed. Nobody wants to give him six, seven, eight years. So – I'm with you. I think a similar deal is is in the works. Yeah, and I don't know what Chapman's going to get, whether it's with the the Cubs or the Giants or some other team. But I had an agency to me today. Look, if Cody Bellinger gets eighty million dollars, there's no way that Matt Chapman's getting more than fifty. You yeah, know? and that was him him speculating as well. Uh, whether or not the the Cubs add Chapman to Bellinger, to me, this makes them the clear favorite to win the National League Central. Yes. Yeah, no, look, they were third in the National League in runs last year. Now, that was a long ways behind the Braves and the Dodgers. Bellinger was their best hitter, so now you bring him back. You can pencil him in. Say a Suzuki, um, I'm really curious to see what he can do. He had a monster second half. Um, some of the young kids, either defense up the middle with Swanson and Horner, and if Crow Armstrong plays center, boy, that's a terrific uh, defense. Ian Happ. Ian Happ's a nice player. Yeah, if you did put Chapman, Chapman if third, you did put Chapman with that pitching staff, good how Lord. many gold gloves? That's what four or five. You know, Bellinger, if he plays first, he's a gold glover there. You could have six gold glovers. That'd be. A, uh, I'm sure that's never been done before. To answer your question, they're they're the favorite in that division. <laughs> yeah, and and I'm still scratching my head about why the Brewers traded Corbin Burns right after they signed Reese Hoskins to a two year deal, and you know. It, yep. it doesn't really make sense to me because that is a very winnable division. And and now the Cubs seemingly take a big step forward by bringing back Cody Bellinger. All right. In a few minutes, I'm going to be talking with uh, with Alex Bregman, who, of course, a longstanding third baseman for the Houston Astros. But he's a free agent in the fall. And I, and I was thinking about this. Uh, look, the, the Astros obviously have been the most successful franchise in baseball, consistently successful franchise in the last decade. And, you know, take the sign stealing stuff out of it. Bottom line is they've won championships. Uh, and Bregman has been right in the middle of that. And what's interesting is, is that their owner, Jim Crane, uh, has absolutely had a philosophy where he does not like to sign huge monster contracts with his players. Uh, you know, the internal conversations he had with some players, and this players have told me this, he doesn't want to go beyond six years. So he held the line at George Springer. And he let him go. And he held the line on Carlos Correa. And he let him go. Uh, and they have kept on winning. Alex Bregman, represented by Scott Boris, 
He's a free agent in the fall. Even Bregman said that, you know, his free agency is very different than Jose Altuve's. I don't think they're going to re-sign him. Tell me what you think about Jim Crane and his philosophy on long-term contracts with his guys. Well, we just mentioned that word discipline, and that's the Astros have stuck with a plan through this unbelievable run of success. And it's worked. You know, Altuve's had to sign two separate contracts to, to stay with Houston. And now he's going to, you know, likely end his career there. Bregman, you know, his best year was way back in 2019. That juice ball year, he hit 41 home runs. He's remained a very, very good player. Excellent player. 4.9 war last year. He hasn't been that player he was in 2018 and 2019. I'm not trying to criticize him because he's still very productive. Any team would love to have him, but you factor in the level, his age. I don't know if I'd be jumping all over to sign him to a long-term deal, to be honest. And I love the player. Yeah, he's got a lot to gain this year. If yes. with a big year, he would absolutely launch himself into it. Um, you know, and so it'll be really and part of the my conversation with him today is going to be about his preparation and how do you yeah, handle that mentally. And this is someone who I when you go to an Astros game, and I'm sure you've seen this, when they're taking batting practice before games, he's out there, he's got his camera, he takes a round of swings, he goes and checks out the camera, looks at something with his swing. He's as meticulous as any player is. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he'll handle that. Uh, you know, he certainly has a lot at stake. All right. Tell me what uh, caught your eye in spring training so far. Well, uh, I saw the home run James Wood of the Nationals hit yesterday. He's the main prospect the Nationals got back in the Juan Soto trade. He's a, what, 6'7". He's, you know, not as big as Aaron Judge, but he's as tall. That ball, but I, did you, I don't know if you saw that. I did. crushed it. Um, that's the that's what stood out to me. I'll be curious to see if he can make it to the majors in the second half. Maybe not. There's really no need for the Nationals to rush him. At the same time, I think they'd like to start getting some of these young young prospects, you know, to the majors. Um, so yeah, that's that stood out to me so far. I mean, that Yankees 22 runs or whatever it was the other day is the juice ball back this year, Buster? Maybe a little too early. Well, I think you and I, like when I see a big score in spring training, you're like, okay, which way was the wind blowing? That yeah. seems to be the one, you know, where where uh, the wind and, and, and you know, I, that game was in Tampa, if I, if I remember correctly. But Lakeland happens to be where the Tigers play, happens to be one of those places where when the wind goes out to right field, forget it. I mean, you might as well put up 100. There, there could be dozens of runs put up. So I don't uh, I don't take those uh, those numbers at face value. I'm sure it was a, a slow ride back to Lakeland though for the Tigers after putting up those kind of runs. All right, Dave, thanks for doing this. Good to see you. All right, you bet, Buster. You can now stream the most MLB games on Directv without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. 
The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Alex Bregman is the third baseman for the Houston Astros. Alex, uh, good to talk with you this spring. How you doing? Doing great. Excited to be back. Baseball season, obviously, uh, every offseason, you're, uh, you're looking forward to the, to the next one, and we're super excited. Um, we, we feel like we have a great team, and we can't wait to uh, get out there. I mean, today was day one of spring training, so obviously the, uh, everyone, everyone was pumped up to get out there and uh, get started. And I remember talking with you through the, the the postseason last year. You know, you're grinding away and working at it. But at the same time, you knew that you had work that you wanted to do during the offseason, you know, coming into this year, which is so important in your career. Tell me about what you focused on in your offseason work. Yeah, so um, I actually, for the first time, we, my wife and I got our son and we, were, we moved to Arizona for four months. We rented a spot out there and um we we went and trained at exos um a they do mlb obviously a lot of the guys are out there uh, i was training next to guys like matt chapman xander bogarts um bradley zimmer just a just a bunch of great guys that are highly competitive and and want to get better at the game that we all love and um surrounded us ourselves with some great trainers out there um then we focused on um numerous different things obviously the number one thing being durability um was fortunate to play 161 last year and a postseason run and that's um two straight years of doing that and um making sure that we maintain um our strength for the full season um but like you said we wanted to um address some some certain things that may have been lacking in the weight room and in the gym and in our programming and for the last few years i had been really working on anti-rotational core work and stopped really working on rotational core work and that was a big piece of piece of my off season in the gym was rotational core and anti-rotation doing them both and not neglecting one another thing we did at the gym this off season was we wanted to see if we could increase um do some bat speed training similar to what they do at driveline but our hitting coach troy snickers sent me out some some bats to swing some overloaded underloaded and and, and uh, regular um bats a swing at the gym and then we got my model made by marucci and brought those to the cage and we we were doing that four times a week and tracking our velocities the entire off season and we saw some really good improvements and um those are just to touch on a few things that we worked on, but it was a great off season. And um, for the first off season to be able to hit uh, since, since 2019 and work on my swing, it's been great because 2020, 2021 I had hamstring and quad in injuries. And then I had a broken hand and a broken finger the last two off seasons that I was healing up from. So to finally get to work on my swing and um, uh, kind of hone back in on, on the moves and positions that I wanted to be in at the plate mechanically. Uh, it was, it was off season was a, a great success. So you were referencing some of the measurements that you were taking. Tell me about, 
you know, how you and you're someone I, you know, it's always jumped out of me how particular are you with the swing? You know, you've got the the camera where you're watching your swing from round to round. How how did you monitor that? And when did you start to see yourself begin to make the improvements that you referenced? Yeah, so right right uh right away we got into the bat speed work immediately when we got there. And um Troy sent over a program and it was basically, I think the first few weeks were about 60 swings. Um, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe 60 swings, uh, divided by three bats, uh, 20 swings a bat, but we were, we were breaking it up to like a one swing max and like reset and then take another swing. And, um, when I first got there, um, we saw some pretty average bat speed. And then by the end of it, every single one of them jumped by 10 miles an hour. And um, I wasn't fully convinced about doing it until um, Troy uh, told me that I was a candidate that it would really help if I, if I got if I improved it. It could really help with with the with the power numbers because of the my bat to ball skill and, and non non chasing. It could really help if I continue to hit the ball in the air and, and gain a little bit of bat speed. So, looking forward to seeing if it pays off or not this uh, off season. But we use the that little blast motion sensor on the bat to kind of track all the speeds, and it was really good to be in an environment with a lot of guys that are in the minor leagues or big leagues that were all being super competitive with who who could swing it faster, and it was great. Give me a couple of examples of that. You know, a guy where you were specifically, you know, someone you're working with, and and uh, you know, a, sort of a moment or a day that was uh, you, that you're gonna, you know, will stick with you. We would train in the morning at Exos, and um, they would track our jumping and they would track our sprinting um, times and stuff like that. And um, all the guys were super competitive doing that. But we drive about thirty minutes down to Chandler, and there is a amazing cage and um jp sportman he's a guy who i played against in the minor leagues actually he uh he hits with a lot of the guys and we'd all come in there uh from like one to four and we'd all hit uh, off the machine and then at the end we'd do our um our bat speed training and um Derek hill jake meyer catcher in the rockies organization and i uh were always hitting together we were we were one of the we were a group that uh kind of hit together and um, there was some good back and forth banter going on. I actually, they, they had me at the, the first week, but then by the end of it, we were, uh, we were pretty toe and toe. Uh, so it was good to be pushed by those guys. And obviously, as you know, the, the back and forth, uh, the trash talking was great. So I'm curious, you know, I'm guessing a lot of the, uh, the early work you referenced probably was done indoors. And, you know, the first time that you got to get outdoors and to, to literally see the, the benefits of your work as the ball's coming off your bat and, and what that was like. No, yeah, it, we, we were we were all we were hitting indoors. Initially, we weren't even doing the bass speed work in the cage. We started by doing it in the gym to kind of control the environment and not really think about having to square up a baseball. All we were training was just trying to train how fast we could swing the bat. And then once we got into the cage, we started um, using the hit tracks to kind of track exit velocities. And when I hit a ball, when I hit a ball 109 miles an hour uh, in the cage, it was the hardest hit ball I've ever hit in my life. So uh, it kind of, I kind of knew it, it was working. Um, but just getting out here in spring training was really the first time that we hit a live arm on the field. And today. Uh, in the game, my first at bat, um, being able to square a ball up over 100 to left field in the air is 
kind of motivating and, and saying, hey, we, we made some good adjustments. So when you look ahead to a season like you've got, it's obviously an important year in your career. Do mm-hmm. you think about numbers or do you think about just staying consistent? How, I mean, what's the mental approach with that? Because you're known, as you know, uh, someone in baseball is very goal oriented. No, definitely. You definitely set goals for yourself, obviously, every year. I feel like um, the biggest things is controlling what you can control, which is your swing decisions and making sure you're swinging at strikes. Um, Obviously, mechanics, putting yourself in a good position to hit and um, having a good approach. After that, you kind of just try and square as many balls up in the air as you possibly can. And um, as you know, baseball is such a game of failure that um, you're going to, you're going to fail a lot more than you succeed in this game. And I think you, I think for me personally, I set my goals in like 10 at bat periods and I try and hit, um, eight out of 10 balls hard. If I'm doing that, I know I'm, I'm know I'm hitting well and giving myself the best chance to succeed. But as far as like this year goes in, in general, um, I've always been a guy, um, since high school days that if I focus on and, and control my focus on, doing anything I can to help our team win a game, I tend to tend to play a lot better. My focus since I've been in baseball since I was a little kid was to win the game and and I'm very competitive. I love winning. I love competing and um those are those are my favorite things to do. So I just try and keep my head down and focus on that and let the cards fall where they fall. What's the best advice you've gotten from anyone? And you've seen teammates, you know, George Springer, uh, Carlos mm-hmm. Correa head into free agent year. What's the best advice you've gotten from anyone about how to handle a situation you're in now? You know, honestly, it came this offseason. Um, the best advice I got was from our hitting coach, um, Snit. Him and I are like brothers. And um, he, the first thing he said to me when we got, when he came to Arizona for, for us that when we started hitting was, hey, this year, we're not talking about a single thing about anything but this year. That's it. We're focused right now on being the best player we can possibly be. I don't want to hear you talk. Like, he'll he'll check me on things. Like, if I if I start talking to him about something, he'll be like, eh, we're not talking about that. So um, I've kind of taken that mentality from the start of the offseason as to, hey, I'm completely focused on being a, a good baseball player and helping this team win and um, not letting my mind get um off of it and you know i've been fortunate to be around guys like you said like correa springer cole who have all gone into their into their final year and the guys were great teammates completely focused on winning completely focused on helping our team win and for me that's the most fun thing to do in baseball so uh, i'm going to try and do that so it's interesting you know and, and of course jim crane your owner is Someone who I think more than any other owner that I've I've covered in, in the years I've covered the sport seems to engage with players about, you know, contract stuff. He seems to be more open than other guys. Like, this is my perspective. What I read, the quotes I read from you at the at the fan fest, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like that was settled. Like you and Jim, whatever, you know, your approach is now is is kind of what you settled at with Jim. Yes. Yeah, I think for, for my my approach for for it is I want my my mental to be completely focused on uh, the field and let Scott and um, my representation handle everything as far as um, the contract goes. I feel like if I'm if I'm not completely focused and completely here, um, that'll that'll take away from 
from what goes on in the field. So I want to make sure I'm completely focused and let Scott and the team handle all the contract stuff. So I'm curious, at the end of last season, after you guys had that series with the Rangers, how how were you feeling as you went home? Like, what was your takeaway from that? No, obviously, it's a a terrible feeling um, every year. Uh, that you go that far in the postseason, you build such a special bond with the guys in the room, and every team is different, so it's a different bond. But you build that bond, and you be- and you have that belief that that you're going to go win. And when you get outplayed, we got outplayed, and um, we everyone came home uh, during the off season, looked in the mirror, said, "Hey, we have to get better um, individually and as a team." And it's kind of what it kind of what. Um, gets you gets you right back in the gym right away you know it's it leaves a it leaves that uh a sour taste in your mouth getting beat like that and um obviously you tip your hat to them they had an incredible ball club offensively and on the mound um they were incredible so all in all though yeah not a good feeling what uh when how did you hear the news about josh Hader? you know i (laughs) I was at the gym I, and my buddy said, Hey, you just got hater. And I was like, yeah, or whatever. You're, you're lying. You're, you're just, you're giving me a hard time, whatever. And then he's like, no, really look, check this out. And everyone was like, what the whole gym, everyone from different teams, uh, me, my, my buddies, everyone was like, what? Oh my God. And, uh, we, we all got fired up and I think like a week later, got to go to dinner with Josh and Maria and their son, Lucas and Knox are friends. They've been hanging out here in spring training. So it's been great to get to know him. Uh, I mean, he's got an incredible work ethic, obviously a track record. It's uh, it's super fun uh, to be able to be on his team and not have to face him. First impression to Joe Espada's manager. Oh, is, I feel like, I feel like he's the, he's been the same guy. Um, that uh he was as the bench coach um just a super hard worker he he obviously um his he's been around winning um for his whole career he's a winner all the guys are extremely uh motivated to go and play for him all right alex well thanks for doing this uh and and i will see you in a couple weeks thank you sounds good are you going to be in town for uh opening weekend not opening weekend, but the week after that, swinging, uh, swinging down through your camp after we've got a couple of exhibition broadcasts. Oh, great. Awesome. See you then. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Thanks, man. Of course. Take care. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Baseball Tonight, 2024 team preview, Philadelphia Phillies. The Phillies love their homegrown guys. They spent big to retain Aaron Nola, locking him down to a seven-year, $172 million contract. They also committed to a future with Bryce Harper as their first baseman and Kyle Schwarber as the team's designated hitter, allowing Reese Hoskins to walk away as a free agent. Late in the winter... The Phillies signed right-handed hitting Whit Merrifield to a one-year contract. He'll serve as a utility man. A guy to watch. When last season began, Harper was still recovering from Tommy John surgery. Now he is presumably fully healed, with his future as a first baseman settled. Harper could get back to putting up monster numbers and contending for the most valuable player honors, an award he's already won twice in his career. Harper is 31 years old, and as the season begins... It's worth noting, he's just three runs away from 1,000 in his career. He's got 306 homers and 1,513 hits. The weakest link. The Phillies' postseason run last fall ended with their shocking loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks because of the problems at the back end of their bullpen. And with Craig Kimbrell gone, it's not entirely clear who will have the ball in the ninth inning. But no matter who closes at the outset of the season, it seems very possible that the Phillies will upgrade their bullpen over the summer. Dave Dombrowski is not afraid of making a big move. Win projection. This team will be driven by the failure of last October. And while they may only be the second or third best team on paper behind the Dodgers and Braves, they will be incredibly dangerous. The Phillies are Hembo's favorite team, and he has them for just 90 wins. I think he's nuts. I've got them for 94 wins. Sarah Lang says 91. Alex Coffey covers the Philadelphia Phillies for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Alex, just in thinking about the Phillies, I got ready to talk with you. I was just imagining how much the last postseason must gnaw at these guys. Because by the time we got uh, you know, the third round of the playoffs, we're all thinking, at least I was thinking, like there's no team is going to beat the Phillies. Tell me about how that's impacting the the 2024 Phillies. Yeah, I definitely think that it's not at them, and obviously not at them uh, last last offseason to the offseason prior when they fell to the Astros. But I think that this one was a little bit different because, you know, in 2022, they were the scrappy underdogs. They were playing free and easy with house money. And in 2023... You know, going into that series with the Diamondbacks and the NLCS, they were expected to win. And that was a role that they weren't really used to. 
And at first, you know, right out the gate, they were playing with confidence and it looked like they had it in the bag. And then as the series went on, started swinging at pitches outside of the zone, chase, chase rates skyrocketed and it all kind of fell apart. So um, I think that they're learning how to be in that role, you know, not the scrappy underdog, but being being the team that is expected to win. Um, and chase rate has been a big focus for them um, this offseason, and it's going to continue to be a big focus for them. So. So, yeah, it's definitely definitely weighed heavy, but they're trying to be proactive about some of those things. So when I covered the Yankees from 98 to 2001, uh, that, you know, 98 season was set up by the fact that they had surprising failure in 97. They were beaten by the Cleveland Indians and going into the next spring, you know, those players who felt like they were the best team in baseball, they were mad. They were like, let's go. And it drove them. Is there any of that you think coming into this year? Because it did feel like they were the team to beat. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say that they're mad, but I just think that they're very focused. Um, it's interesting. They they recently signed David Buchanan um, to a minor league deal, former pitcher who who pitched for the Phillies from 2014 to 2016. And I was catching up with him the other day just on the differences between the organization when he was there back in the Ryan Sandberg era and now. And his main takeaway was just they're so focused on winning. They're so focused, their eyes on the prize, you know, and that he's not trying to take a shot at like, you know, right. the former office or anything like that. But he just he he said something along the lines and I'm paraphrasing of like back in 2014 to 16, it was like, hope we have a good season. That would be great. You know, it was very like a vague, undefined goal. And now um, he said that guys want to ring and they're they're uniquely focused on they're they're very focused on that one goal. So I, I would say less mad, more just zoned in on that. So part of the reason why they had the postseason meltdown was because of Craig Kimbrell's struggles. How are they going to handle the back end of games this year? What's the current plan? Right now they're saying closer by committee. Um, but Rob Thompson has said that that isn't necessarily his preference. He would love to have a guy that goes out there and earns that job and is is the regular closer. So we don't know who that is going to be at this point. They didn't sign a closer in the offseason, they didn't sign anyone that um, is like an obvious fit for that role. So I think it's up for the taking. Um, I could see Jose Alvarado being the closer. Um, they've mentioned Orion Kirkering, who would, you know, he's really young. He's 22, um, but he's got this, he's got nasty stuff and he's got this unflappable kind of confidence to him, almost like he doesn't realize that he jumped from low A to the big leagues in the postseason in a single season last year. It just doesn't phase him. So, um, so he could be a candidate, uh, but I'd say that that job is up for the taking right now. When you heard the rumors about uh, Kenley Jansen, what was your reaction? Because it, it makes sense to me that they would explore the idea just because of his experience. Yeah, I don't really know. Um, I mean, you know, rumors like I, I feel like ever since I've started covering this team, um, Dave Dombrowski has been pretty good about like not letting those things come out, like not a lot of leaks, not a lot of rumors. So I always take everything with a grain of salt, but I will say that he does have, um, it does seem like he has an affinity for former Red Sox players, especially of a certain generation. So you never know. <laughs> uh, where did the the talk stand with Zach Wheeler, as far as you know? Uh, that you know would be the one, I think, major personnel question they would have hanging over the team this year. Will Zach Wheeler sign before he becomes a free agent? Yeah, uh, we talked to Zach a couple of days ago, and um, he basically said that he made he raised the point that he's been through this before. He's been th through free agency before, and he turned down more money 
you know, he didn't specifically name the White Sox, but he turned down more money from the White Sox a couple years ago to come to Philadelphia. And he really just emphasized how happy he is that he did that and how it's it's made his family happier and how he's connected with the pitching staff, the coaching staff here. Um, so he said that he wants to be paid, you know, he wants to be paid what he thinks that he's worth and market value, but he also doesn't want to be making a ton of money and be miserable. Um, so I think it's like finding that happy medium of he's he doesn't feel like he's being under underpaid by any means, but um, but they find a way to make it work because he has connected with um the pitching coach Caleb Cotham here and Brian Kaplan and um and they have a good thing going so you can tell that he's he's happy and would love to stay um, yeah and he's he's someone too if you have get to know him uh he, he's someone who absolutely values what he has you know it seems like uh and it feels like one of those situations where that they will work it out eventually because he yeah. wants to stay and and you have a case where John Middleton their owner is clearly willing to compensate players yeah, it's a really interesting situation because he's 34. You know, you don't want to sign. The Phillies tend to gravitate toward these like multi-year low AAV deals, and you're not going to do that with a guy that's 34. So I think it just might involve them being a little bit more creative and getting out of their comfort zone, like or like offering him something shorter term, higher AAV, you know, whatever it might look like. But um, but I I don't think I think that they're going to figure something out because he's definitely happy and they understand what his worth is. All right. Along the same lines, Bryce Harper, you know, conversations that they might work out an extension that would keep him with the Phillies to the end of his career. Yeah. So uh, Bryce wants to play until his for into his forties. He's made that clear. Um, right now it kind of feels like, and I don't mean this in an insulting way. It feels a little bit like a non-issue. Um, he understands that it's not pressing. He understands, he mentioned in talking to us that, you know, there are other players that are looking at extensions right now, hinting at Zach Wheeler. So he knows that it's not at the top of the priority list. And he doesn't have an opt out in his contract. So there's not like a burning, you know, need for them to handle this right now. I think it'll happen eventually, but I just don't think that it's, you know, even though it's been raised by Scott Boris recently, I don't think that it's going to happen um, anytime soon. All right. The One of the bigger issues for the Phillies for a lot of last season was defense, mm -hmm. uh, you know, at first base and in left field. And it feels like that if the Phillies are going to be improved over the course of the regular season, that will be one of the reasons why, if you could just give some perspective on those changes they've made. Yeah. Well, ever since they've hired infield, uh, infield coach, Bobby Dickerson, they've made strides on defense. I mean, Alec Bohm, um, I'm sure you remember his three error game when he was caught on national television saying, <laughs> yeah, he does not enjoy playing in Philadelphia. Um, you know, he makes plays now that are, I'm not saying that he's a gold glove caliber third baseman, but he makes plays that are gold glove caliber plays every once in a while. And you look at him and he just looks so po poised out there. So he's, he's come a long way. Um, you know, the outfield defense has really been bolstered by the addition of Johan Rojas, who's um, center fielder still figuring things out at the plate, but he's, um, he's just naturally gifted and, and is unfazed out there. So, um, so center field was like a gaping hole for them for a long time. And now he's, he's in that spot. So I think, you know, a combination of like some homegrown talent and um, good coaching thanks to Bobby Dickerson has helped them kind of bolster that. And then Whit Merrifield, who they just brought in, um, I think that he should provide some defensive versatility for them and, and help them move people around who need a day off, things like that. So, so they're in a good spot, I'd say right now. 
Last one, before uh, Peter Seidler passed away, he became known as the the one owner who would sort of work outside the box aggressively. He, you know, cost be damned, I want to win a championship. From afar, and you're around this team in a, in a daily basis the way that I'm not, it feels like that John Middleton has evolved into that type of owner, where increasingly he doesn't worry about that so much. So that was as we look ahead to the trade deadline uh, this year, if the Phillies are in contention, as we expect them to be, He's going to back whatever they need to, to take on, regardless of cost. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't covering the team when to kind of witness this evolution of John Middleton. But from what I've heard, talking to people in the organization, he wasn't really around, wasn't talking to the media, was very reluctant to go over the luxury tax. And now he's completely all in. And I don't know if that's the Dave Dombrowski effect or if that's... I don't know, come to Jesus moment or something. Doesn't it feel he, like he just has fun? I mean, he does that thing oh, yeah. that we saw during the postseason when he's got all the, yeah. the baseballs he's throwing in. Yes, the yes, yes. He, he definitely looks like he's having fun. And to put things into perspective, I used my first team, the first team I ever covered was the Oakland A's. And I was covering John Fisher, who is the antithesis of John Middleton, like the opposite, complete opposite of John Middleton. Never talks to media, um, doesn't spend any money, obviously. So to see John Middleton shagging balls in the outfield in his slacks um, on a given <laughs> Tuesday um, without a glove, which is like, you know, an interesting choice um, is something to behold. But yeah, he definitely seems like he's enjoying it. He's out. He's interacting with the players, interacting with the fans. Um, and he's all in. I mean, he wants to win. So he's he's made that really clear. And I think that now that they're um, they cross the second tier of the luxury tax. But um, but. I think that uh, that they're going to go in at the deadline and try to maybe bolster some of their pitching. Um, I think that that'll be a goal for them this summer. So we'll see how it plays out. But he's he's definitely all in. Alex, thanks for doing this. Good to talk with you. Thanks, Buster. Talk to you later. This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing? I am doing great, Buster. They're spring training baseball. Their games are games on TV. It is wonderful. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I, I, it's been fascinating to get a lot of phone calls, folks around baseball reacting to the Cody Bellinger contract. So tell me what your initial reaction was when you heard $80 million over three years for Bellinger. I mean, I thought this was what it seemed like was going to happen, given how long this had taken. A deal kind of similar to the Carlos Spray deal, something where we know he will probably opt out, but give him the chance to prove himself yet again. And if he has another monster year, we know this will be totally different next offseason anyway. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. Uh, I know some folks around baseball are calling and saying, boy, that number's a lot lower than what was out there with a lot of projections. Sarah, I thought it was a fair contract, you know, given the, you know, the, the concern that folks had within the sport, uh, you know, before last season. This is a great player, a, you know, former MVP, who was essentially non-tendered by the Los Angeles Dodgers, before he went to the Cubs. And yeah, he had a terrific 2023 season. But my sense was all along that there were folks around baseball who wanted to see a a larger sample size before they brought in big. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I don't think 
think they even could boundary with all those people. And I think any player would think that as a challenge to say, okay, I'll do it again. You want to see if I can do this, you bet. Come watch. So, I mean, again, it made sense to me. I did not expect him to get, you know, a $200 million deal or anything in that range off of just one good year, knowing what had happened in the prior season. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 11.6. So speaking of Bellinger, one of the very positive signs about his season last year to me was not the slash line, not the batting average, but it was the decline in strikeouts for him. So the 11.6 is percentage point. His strikeout rate went down 11.6 percentage point from 2022 to 2023. That was the second largest difference between uh, 2022 to 2023 for any batter who was qualified in both seasons. And the only guy who hasn't been was Ronald Kennedy Jr., who won MVP. So when you look at is what Ballinger did, sustainable, replicatable. To me, if you cut down strikeouts, that's a really, really good uh, foundation to have. Number two. Number two is, we'll say, two and three. So I talked a little bit about projections last week. We're going to keep making our way through those. So Juan Soto and Aaron Judge were projected on Pangraph's Seamer projection to be second and third in war among position players this season. Now, we've seen teammates finish uh, two of the top three pretty recently, Mookie Betts and Freeman last year. But we have not seen Yankees duos do that in a very long time. The last time two Yankees position players were top two in war was in 1942 when Harley Keller and Joe Gordon done it. And the only other Yankee duo to do this is Gary and Ruth in 1926, 1927, 1930, 31, 32, and 1937. So with Yankees history, we got to have that wildfire. They so no one judge could do something we've not seen since those guys. Number one. Number one is 40. So Ron Acuna Jr. is projected for just under a 40-40 season. He's projected for 13 homers and 56 on bases. He would be the first guy to have multiple 30-50 seasons. And if he does eke out those two more home runs, he would be the first guy to have multiple 40-40 seasons. And even if he doesn't come close to those, if he has another 30-30 season, he would be the youngest guy to reach three 30-30 seasons in his group. So pretty much, even if you go the high end of the production or the low end, probably good enough, he will be doing something historic this year. Yeah, and I saw MLB.com that uh, in the end, as you and I talked about, you know, Acuna Jr. currently ranked as the number one player in baseball. But I want to get back yeah. to Soto a little bit. 
you know, I, I think we're there. We always have that reflex when you have a left-handed hitter uh, going into Yankee stadium to play his home games on a regular basis. You assume that, Oh my God, he's going to go absolutely bonkers. You know, better than anybody, the type of hitter that Soto is, what are you uh, projecting uh, Yankee stadium to be the impact on his offensive production? I mean, he has projected to have a career high in homers. I believe he's projected 438. You're 100% correct. None of it has to do with that short report. That's not who Soto is. He's the king of off-ball home runs. If you look at his home run slasher, at least 300 feet, he would not have had that many more home runs if he played every game in Yankee Stadium. Because that's not where he hits the ball. But it's a very good part to be a hitter, even without taking advantage of that force. It's a very good part to where him to hit some doubles, bowling, all of that. He's projected to be the top hitter in the game, and I fully expect that to happen. But as you said, nothing to do with Ray Field. Are you going to pick him to win the American League MVP when you're asked for that, uh, Sarah? I think I might. I mean, between him and Julio, which, by the way, how am I supposed to make that choice? That was impossible <laughs> for me. But I do think I will lean between one of those two. All right. Well, when you talk to Bruce Bochy later, tell him I said hi. I absolutely will. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Vosser. Baseball Tonight, 2024 team preview, Boston Red Sox. You may have heard, but it was not a good offseason for the Red Sox. After owner Tom Werner teased fans with the phrase full throttle in discussing the team's intended upgrades, Boston seemed to pull back significantly in the market, with agents sensing the Red Sox had little money to spend. Boston did sign Lucas Giolito, who steps into the rotation in place of Chris Sale. Sale, of course, was traded for infielder Vaughn Grissom. The Foundation After the Red Sox announced late in the winter that Theo Epstein would join the team's ownership and serve as an advisor to the front office now run by Craig Breslow, rival evaluators immediately speculated that this casting greatly understated Epstein's forthcoming role. Epstein had played a major role in Breslow's ascension to baseball and beyond that, he'd been talking with the Red Sox for months about a possible return. Boston is an organization desperately in need of help, and the person most responsible for championships in 2004 and 2007 has returned. The weakest link. Alex Cora has been an increasingly isolated figure of credibility for the organization in recent years, but he's entering into the last season of his contract and he may reach free agency right in the midst of a very volatile managerial market next fall with possible openings all over the place. A guy to watch. Tristan Casas, who had an incredible spike in performance in the second half of last season, batted 317 after the All-Star break with 15 homers in 54 games. If that trajectory continues, he could become one of the most prolific sluggers in the game in 2024. Win projection. Their realistic focus will be on the future, which means that the Red Sox could readily punt on this season in June or July and trade veterans like Kenley Jansen. But Paul Hembikides has them for 84 wins. I'm guessing 77 wins. 
Joe Castiglione is the longtime radio play-by-play man for the Boston Red Sox, who will make a speech in Cooperstown this year as the Ford C. Frick winner. Joe, it's the first time I've spoken with you since you uh, you got that award. Uh, first off, just tell me about that phone call and what that was like. <laughs> well, it was amazing. You know, I've been on the ballot, I think, uh, three previous times, and the hall tells you that uh, – you will get a phone call between 10.30 and 11.30 a.m. if you're selected. If you're not selected, if you're not uh, and you're on the ballot, you don't win. It's radio silence, and I had that for three years. So this time I'd given up. It was about 11.21. The phone rang, and uh, I saw 607 area code. I knew it was Cooperstown. I figured what it was, and uh, I don't know whether I choked or whether it's just my technical uh, – lack of ability and being a klutz i hit the red button to disconnect instead of the white button to put it on. <laughs> so i actually hung up on the hall of fame uh as my son the duke who's a channel five anchor was recording it uh, to use on uh, the news that night and anyway uh i tried to call back i looked at so i was a switchboard number i didn't know who to ask for so i had to wait it was the longest 40 seconds of my life but josh rowich and John Shestakowski, the media relations director, called back and said, can you believe it? <laughs> well, that's great. I remember uh, speaking with Peter Gammons, our good friend, uh, when he was uh, honored at the Hall of Fame. And he to- told me a story about how I want to say it was George Brett, but there was a Hall of Famer came up to him and said, you're one of us now. And they welcome in the, the players, welcome in the other uh, inductees in the conversations, the tables, and the in the porch at the Otisaga. Tell me, you know, what you're looking forward to uh, with that experience. You know, d- different players you, you can't wait to see, uh, you know, as someone who's been honored at the Hall of Fame. Well, certainly it's going to be a tremendous thrill. And we were between my granddaughter's basketball games in mid-December, and I see uh, my phone ring. It says area code 513. No, it was Cincinnati. But it didn't say Marty Brenneman. He's about the only guy I know in Cincinnati. So I got a message to call back to this number. Turned out to be Johnny Bench. Wow. He said, welcome to the Hall of Fame. And I heard Johnny has done this with writers and with players. Uh, he's a welcoming committee in himself. And it was such a thrill to hear from Johnny. I've heard from many other Hall of Famers. Uh, I just had dinner with Burke Blylevin uh, this past weekend here in Fort Myers. And that's going to be so much fun to be with guys I know and to be with guys I covered, but I uh, didn't really know personally. Uh, we've been to the Otis Saga many times uh, over the course of uh, the last 40 years, really, because I went to Colgate, which is 50 miles from Cooperstown. So uh, we always managed to combine trips uh, to both together. And we're up there in December, in fact, uh, for the orientation. And it's going to be uh, just such a thrill to be there uh, with all of those great Hall of Famers and their families. And that will be a highlight of the summer for sure. Uh, Let's talk about the Red Sox of 2024. How would you describe the current emotional state of Red Sox Nation? Well, I think uh, there is some anger that they haven't added uh, free agents. Uh, Other people, I think, are just sort of on hold right now. And uh, I think it it has a chance to be a decent club. Sometimes when we've had... uh, Uh, Low expectations, they've surprised like 2021. They came off the last place finish in 20, a disappointing season in 19, and then got to within two games of the World Series in 21 before losing out to Houston. 
And uh, it'll all depend on the pitching. I think the uh, infield defense will be a lot better with Trevor Story playing every day. I'm anxious to see Vaughn Grissom play. He certainly has a high upside with uh, his minor league career and his brief major league career with the Red Sox. He'll be at second base. Actually, he had a home run in his first major league game at Fenway Park. Uh, Rafi Devers, I think, will be better defensively with Story at short, who will cover more ground. And Tristan Casas is a budding superstar, I think. He's a good personality. He's unique. I mean, who else sunbathes in the outfield before <laughs> batting practice and paints his toenails? Uh, he's a wonderful young man. He's a really good hitter, knows the strike zone. And I think he will improve defensively, so the infield should be solid. It'll all come down to the pitching, of course. They did add uh, Giolito, hoping that he can come back after a tough time the second half of last year. And who knows, there are free agents out there, and it's still possible they could add somebody in the starting rotation. But uh, right now, that's the biggest question. The bullpen is solid, but whether Kenley Jansen's still here or not remains to be seen. Of course, they did sign Liam Hendricks to two years, and he hopes to be back in late July after Tommy John. So there are a lot of moving parts. How good could Casas be? I think he's capable of being a 40 home run guy and hitting, you know, 310 to 320. He's not going to get many leg hits, but he knows the strike zone so well. In fact, uh, he was uh, a little too passive the first half of last year and then started to attack more borderline pitches that were hittable and had a very good second half of the season. He's big and strong, and I saw him uh, at the workout uh, this week, and I think he's in much better condition. He's really solid. He's about 6'4", probably 230, and uh, I think he's going to be an outstanding hitter. Doesn't strike out a lot. Hangs in there against lefties. He's a left-hand hitter, and he's got a stroke made for Fenway Park, left and left center. Jaron Duran, uh, we've seen some great things from him, and we've seen some tough times from him. Uh, where would you assess him now as we get ready for 24? Well, he did. Re he has recovered, I think, from the injury that sidelined him uh, to his lower leg uh, last August because he was having a tremendous season. He disappointed when he first came up. Uh, he really had the launch angle, I think, too much of it and didn't take advantage of his speed and struggled in the outfield. But he went back uh, to Worcester, really worked at his defense, and he has really world-class speed. I mean, he stretched maybe 15 singles into doubles last year. He wound up with 34 doubles in half a season. And I think that uh, he can continue to progress. He's got to pick it up defensively, whether he's a left fielder or a center fielder remains to be seen. But he can run down mistakes. He is so quick, and he's big and strong. So he's got a lot of upside to him, and we'll see if he can continue the progression. So, Joe, when the news was announced by the Red Sox that Theo Epstein's coming back, uh, partly as an owner, and, and I think the phrase was senior advisor or some kind of sort of advisor to the front office, I can tell you talking with executives with other teams, they were kind of laughing out loud, you know, with how the Red Sox, uh, you know, unveiled this on a Friday, slow news day. They underplayed it because folks with other teams are like, yeah, he's going to be basically in charge of baseball operations. What's your perception? <laughs> Well, he's got so many irons in the fire. I don't know whether he'll be day-to-day, -day, but he certainly will have a lot of influence. They did try to downplay his role, uh, I think, uh, for obvious reasons. But uh, he's going to be very active, and, you know, he's going to help Craig Breslow a lot. I think the Red Sox are in very good hands with Craig Breslow uh, to have 
such an intelligent guy who knows analytics, but more importantly, has played the game and knows what it's like to be in that uh, clubhouse and on the field. Uh, I think they're going to be a dynamic duo in terms of baseball uh, operations. And, you know, Theo did such a good job with the pace of the game. And uh, I think uh, he'll bring a lot back to the table for the Red Sox. All right, Joe. Well, congratulations again. Uh, have you started working on your speech? I have. Uh, I've got to cut it down. <laughs> and that's the hardest part, to edit it. Uh, I put it down for a while. Uh, and you writers know about that. You know, it, it's not clicking <laughs> totally. You put it down and come back later. So uh, I've got a few months to work on it. But uh, basically, it'll be a speech of gratitude to all the people that have helped me over the years. There have been so many. I'll see you in a couple weeks. Okay, looking forward to having you down here in Fort Myers, Buster. Take care. Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster. It is time for Bleacher Tweets. Our first one is coming from Nicholas. And let's take a listen. Hi, guys. Uh, my name is Nicholas. I'm from Bakersfield, California. Lifelong Dodger fan. Huge fan of the show. My question for you guys is that this week um, we just saw the Arizona Diamondbacks announce a new streaming pro, uh, platform, uh, D-Back TV, to where local fans are able to watch their team and the Arizona Diamondbacks without uh, dealing with blackouts as far as games are non-television. With the, with the negotiations going on with that, uh, Bailey Sports, and that will be TV. But do you think that this is the way to where finally fans that have MLB package are finally able to watch their team in local markets without dealing blackouts? Love to hear your answer. Thanks, guys. Bye. Yeah, Nicholas, I think it's absolutely headed in that direction. Uh, and you're referring to the Bally's negotiations. Um, that, you know, the Diamondbacks are one of the teams in the last half of last year. They were essentially run by Major League Baseball. And I can tell you from talking with folks within that organization, they love the product they put on. And I do think that Major League Baseball wants to move to a place where blackouts uh, are not in effect. But I think we're a long ways from that. Uh, to because they have to more centrally be able to market the the television rights, but that is a goal of baseball as it moves forward. The question is, can they bundle enough teams' rights to be able to do that? All right, our next one is Josh calling in. Hey guys, my name is Josh. I'm from Minnesota. I always see a lot of people talk about the Minnesota Twins front office that they never go all in, they never push all the chips in. And after our most successful postseason run in 19 years, I'm just wondering what does that look like? What do they need to do to, in effect, go all in? And how would you grade their offseason moves they made uh, so far? Yeah, and I've seen some of the projection systems, Josh, that have the Twins as the best team in the American League Central. I think there's confidence that that's – you know, that they can win this year. I, I have my doubts, uh, you know, with Sonny Gray gone and a lot of turnover in that pitching staff. And, and look, that last question that we answered from Nicholas, I think applies to the Twins. There's a lot of uncertainty about the television revenue coming in and how much money they have to spend. Here's the good thing for the Twins. They're in a division where the bar is very low, right? They're not. There's no great team in that division 
Maybe the biggest team that's a threat to them besides Cleveland is Detroit, who which uh, which has taken a big step forward. But I I understand the frustration of Twins fans about uh, what happened this offseason. And our last call comes from Dan. Hi, all. This is Dan, and I'm calling from Naperville, Illinois. Big Orioles fan and also absolutely love your guys' podcast. And my question today is just a fun one, actually, for Buster and the gang. Is there anyone that maybe you grew up admiring or folks in the game that you never got the chance to meet that you wish you had? And Orioles, please find Lakes now. Thank you, guys. Buster, I've always loved your work. Take care. Dan, thanks for the kind words. I It would have been a blast to have met Jackie Robinson, right? Uh, and I feel like that I've gotten to meet a lot of people that I wanted to meet. Uh, I didn't really have a conversation with Sandy Koufax, but I shook his hand, which was really fun. Uh, we had Vince Scully in the podcast once. That was really fun. Uh, Jackie Robinson would have been the big one, you know, to ask him about his experience. And I've told the story about being 11 years old and and sitting next to Pee Wee Reese at a, at a Red Sox playoff game in 1975. Um, and I wish I could remember if I asked him questions about Jackie Robinson. I don't think I did, but that would have been fun. That, that, you know, for me, meeting Jackie Robinson, Sarah, would have been like you getting to meet uh, Taylor Swift. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I think Jackie Robinson was significantly cooler than Taylor Swift. And <laughs> I w- per- would personally rather meet Jackie Robinson, even as a big Swifty. But yeah, I think that is an incredible answer. And that is it for our bleacher tweets. So be sure to call in with 406 404 8460. That's 406-404-8460 if you want to leave a voicemail for Buster and everyone to answer. Thank you. Sarah, thanks for stepping in today. It was great to see you. I know. It feels like we're getting the gang back together. I wish Taylor was here to show us Lola. Wait, you mean Taylor Swift or Taylor Swing? <laughs> Both Taylors. This is a Taylor-inclusive podcast. Very nice. And my thanks today also to Sean Bartley, uh, to Sarah Langs, to David Schoenfield, and to Alex Bregman. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great day. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.